Hey, welcome out to Third World Linux. I'm Jao, and it's another one of those talking into a phone when I have the time to do so episodes, which means the sound quality is going to be terrible um, and tremendously inconsistent. So I apologize uh, beforehand, right? Because some of it was recorded in the car while I was driving and other uh, other parts were recorded like in the middle of nature. So, uh, if, if that bothers you, I'm really sorry. Theme music. So there was a time when I was still fairly new, um, in my use of the GNU Linux operating system that I wanted to learn a little bit more as to see I was at the, the point where I was um, experienced enough to screw things up really bad, right? I wanted to learn a little bit more about the ins and outs of um, this thing called Linux, and uh, I, I tried rolling releases, which was the thing to do then. Um, Arch was, you know, really trendy at the time, and I, I had played with Arch, right? I put it on. Um, an Acer Aspire 5500Z, or however you want to pronounce that. It was my little brother's old laptop that he had all but abandoned because it couldn't hold a charge and um, Windows XP was getting really slow and Windows Vista wouldn't run on it properly or something like that. Either way, he just left it. And um, I put Arch on it. And it worked really well. And, and I liked the idea of like being on the bleeding edge so, uh, to try and learn a little bit more about Linux, I uh, decided to put a minimal installation of Debian on it. In installa installation. Put a minimal installation of Debian on it and uh, point it towards the SID repository. Rule of cool. Like, we are beyond the bleeding edge. We haven't even started to bleed, and we are bleeding, or something to that effect, right? And uh, and through the awesome window manager on it, or uh, Xmonad or something, <laughs> which was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool, um, and and it worked for a bit, right? Like it was it was good enough for what it was. It was a thing that I used to like watch YouTube videos and um, download the occasional Linux distribution and record like the occasional thought or two um, and surf the internet because you know RTFM so I read the manuals on this thing but it, it worked it was it was quite nice um, but then <laughs> one day I decided to update or just upgrade right and uh, whew. It just so happened that Debian was in the middle of um, like a package transition for Xorg, and you can see where this is going. Uh, so, so if you don't know the way Debian works, it's uh, all of the new untested software goes into a repository called SID, and then it goes through extensive testing until you have this rock-solid like software from two years ago, Debian stable, um, and and. 
and, 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 and I thought pointing it towards Sid would be cool because it doesn't come in um, releases but like the moment the software hits the repository you can put it on your computer and uh, you are you're good ideally right so yeah uh, something that happens is um, they update their packages they transition the packages um, and since uh, the Unix philosophy has this idea of like a lot of little packages working together, a lot of little bits of software working together to make this unified whole that is an operating system. Um, if it's in the middle of transition, you aren't updating one big program or one big piece of software. You're updating little pieces of software that'll work together. Now, if you happen to update in the middle of this transition, you freaking break XORG. And I freaking broke XORG. And about a week later, it was fine. <laughs> right? So, uh, after that, after that little experience, we learned a valuable lesson. Uh, be careful when you upgrade anything that is rolling because you might break stuff something something similar happens in arch or not well not not really similar um there is a similar experience that you find in arch when say you update something and uh little things break like it was that time that i updated arch and i couldn't open the terminal emulator or something right so like good luck trying to uh, dig into the config files because you can't open Nano or Pico, not Pico, you can't open Nano <laughs> or whatever, right? Uh, so, yeah, you kind of have to be careful. The way that people usually frame it is um, you, you, put, you put something rolling on the machine you mess around with, and if there's anything mission critical, you put a nice, like, LTS on there. Um, and more and more, I've started to do that something I should have done a long time ago but then I didn't have anything super mission critical then and I wasn't flooded with um, hundreds of test papers to check <laughs> and final exams to make but there we go um, so now <laughs> I run rolling software I, I still run um, I still run arch on a I still run arch on my non mission crit not non mission critical because it is kind of mission critical in the sense that it's the laptop by my bed that I use to like watch TV or that I use to watch stuff <laughs> that I use to hack out emails on that sort of thing um, I, did, did I just use the word TV to mean like YouTube videos and things of that nature and like Netflix and whatnot either way uh, <laughs> Arch on the computer next to my bed and um, Ubuntu on the computer that I get all of my actual work done so the life computer is running a rolling release and the livelihood computer is running something a little bit older because without livelihood there is no life or something like that 
So, uh, but, but the the point that I want to talk about though is in the livelihood computer. I'm gonna start using that dichotomy between like my laptops, right? The life and the livelihood. But in the livelihood computer, um, theoretically, it's okay to update, right? Like you just app get your way to glory, as I have said in the past. So you just app get your way to glory. Um, you type in your password, it's, it spits out a, a warning, but that's fine. And when you reboot your computer, you're fine, right? Uh, <laughs> but my experience with rolling releases, particularly how scarred I was by that Debian XORG thing, I'm being a little dramatic here. Uh, there is a little bit of anxiety whenever you press that update button and that's a lot of fun right so when I when I update the, the, the livelihood machine it's like there is that little bit of oh my god am I gonna be arrested sort of feeling when you press that enter button saying that yes I, I would like to update and as you reboot your computer there's that um, anticipation that one would get from watching a good horror movie seeing if your laptop is going to uh, work <laughs> and you know it's something that I brought upon myself yes but it's you know I really don't have a point other than uh, other than I just noticed that whenever I hit enter after um, not like updating my software for about two weeks I get a little bit of anxiety and I was wondering if any of you guys had that same sort of experience yeah no no real point to that really something really annoying happened to me earlier today uh, sixth period class obligations and contracts this is the first time I'm running this class so naturally there's a little bit more preparation involved like uh, presentations, um, finding pertinent uh, provisions of law, talking about contracts, brushing up on jurisprudence, that sort of thing. So I'm not as, um, I'm not as prepared to run this class as I am, say, UCSP or Philippine Politics and Governance, right? So I have this sixth period obligations and contracts class. And what I like to do is take my fifth period like checking time to uh, prepare for the class. So read cases and um, present parts of the civil code. Um, now, I was planning to do that same thing today, except I had to substitute for a teacher that was out, a uh, fifth period teacher that was out, um, which was all right. Um, I just figured that I'd... Uh, tether the laptop onto my phone and like a moron I decided to do this on the Windows side of things you'll have to excuse the crickets in the background and the occasional like howling of dogs um, third world so there uh, I, I was in the fifth period class uh, overseeing an activity or a quiz more or less that was left by uh, the teacher that was out and I, I tried to prepare. Uh, unfortunately, the 
update manager of Windows decided that it would be a good idea to download like eight gigabytes worth of updates without telling me that it would be doing that. And um, I pretty much ran out of lunch <laughs> or what I was planning to buy lunch with is now going to my service provider because Windows decided to not tell me anything. And this is what I really like about Linux. Like our update managers, our update managers tell us that, hey, you have an update. Uh, this is how big the updates are. Would you like me to proceed? Yes or no. It doesn't do what it thinks is best for me, but gets me to decide whether or not I want to download 8 gigabytes worth of updates, regardless of what type of connection I'm on, Wi-Fi or whatever. Right? That's something that I really love about the way Linux works. Uh, something that AG said about uh, Linux as an operating system. Every now and then you'll run into little annoyances. Right? So, say like a, a, a Wi-Fi bug here or there. And um, I, I would like to say that, or I, I, would, I would like to think that this isn't unique to um, Linux or any of the distributions, or any of the Linuxes, if you will. Um, the little annoyances come in every operating system that we have. And Windows, the little annoyance that we have in Windows cost me 9 gigabytes worth of freaking data. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's a way to turn it off, such that um, you have it prompt you instead of downloading automatically if you're on a Wi-Fi connection or whatever. Like, it, I'm pretty sure there's a way that you can tell it to, or set it to prompt you. But what kind of sucks is that the default option is to go out and download because that little annoyance just cost me a lot of lunch. Hey man, so I got a little three and a half inch LCD screen for the Raspberry Pi, right? And uh, it doesn't use uh, HDMI. Like you plug it straight into the Pi's uh, GPIO ports or GPIO pins rather, and um, it should be good. So you have what is essentially like this little tiny full-fledged desktop that's quote all-in-one minus a keyboard and mouse um, in your pocket but no oh it came with a case too like with this little layered case thing or whatever but there we go so i got one of these things and my, my my initial plan for it was to have a super nintendo emulator uh that i could just carry around and have like a have my little usb controller with me at all times that way when i get bored at the office i can work on my super mario brothers speed run <laughs> um, first hurdle was uh, getting the driver right because it isn't hdmi so it isn't plug and play um, thankfully available on the internet is the driver this thing uh, you can just sort of get hub your way to glory or not not get hub you can get clone your way to glory and get the thing running um, so it, it, it disables your HDMI out and uh, you, you get your output on the little screen and that, that works for Raspbian but it didn't quite work with RetroPie 
right? So yeah, he got the what do you call it on there? He got the uh, he got the driver on there, but you have to dig into a couple more config files and tweak around. And when I finally got that working, um, it was terrible, <laughs> or it was uh, yeah terrible, right? There was a lot of input lag, which is well, it, it was worse than the input lag that you get when like you plug it straight into your TV with uh, the HDMI cable. It wasn't that great. Um, then uh, the problem of screen tearing was there and uh, the games ran at something like 10, 15 frames per second, which, which, which no, right? <laughs> like that's, that's not, that's not a thing that, that's not a thing. So it wasn't great for that. Um, but at the same time, it, it's a freaking screen that you can put on your Raspberry Pi. It has touchscreen, right? So, uh, so for now, <laughs> there really is no like practical application for this other than a thing that I have that's just on my desk, right? But if, if you know, um, anything about my relationship with technology it's that um it's it's weird it's quote complicated right because um on the one hand technology is a tool right i've, I've always subscribed to that philosophy of um technology is like a hammer and or technology is a tool uh sometimes you use screwdrivers sometimes you use hammers right um it is insofar as it is useful or insofar as it is helpful but the sort of other uh the other side of my relationship with technology is one that we like to term as like the rule of cool right like ag uses that a lot rule of cool man um and it's, it's got this whole like art for art's sake sort of vibe to it like um, why am I using why am I using a ten year old laptop that has I don't know that, that barely works? <laughs> why am I using a ten year old laptop um, and it's got like a distro on it that has uh, just a bunch of terminals, right? Or a bunch of terminal emulators opened and just tiling? Like, why do I do that? Because I can and. I think that uh, this, this this screen on the Pi with the funky case on it falls very squarely within um, that sort of side of me and my use of technology, if I may say. Um, it's currently sitting on my desk at the office on a cell phone stand <laughs> that was given to me by a student last Teacher's Day, shout out. And it is what I'm using to browse the web and read emails and stuff. Like, why? Because I can, right? Like, it runs off of a power bank. It's got a mouse and a keyboard plugged into the USB port, so why not, right? Um, so the moral of this story is use HDMI if you want to have, like, a really good screen. Or you can use this thing if you want to, just because you can. 
because it's cool. This far, this is the off-tangent section, and just like the main show before it, uh, same format. Hey, something really cool happened at the office the other day. Well, maybe not really that cool, because it involves, like, the feelings of students and stuff. But that, that's kind of beside the point. Um, I, I am the moderator of the Campus Journalism Student Organization, and we were covering the recent intramurals in reputable educational institution and if there's something you have to know about the intramurals is that it is sort of student-centered in that it is the student government that sets it up and executes it and um, you can probably see where this is going the campus journalism organization and the student government got into a fight over um, who was supposed to present what information to the student body and this is so cool because it is um, reflective of the actual tension that exists between a free press and a government that naturally has the desire to control um, information presented to its constituents, right? And it's really cool that we see it in the context of the microcosm that is reputable educational institution because something that we try to do in basic education is to quote-unquote expose the students to um, situations that they will find in the real world without actually exposing them to the dangers of those situations right and to see this very real um, relationship between uh, media organizations or media companies or free press or whatever and the government play out in a school is um well it's 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 disheartening on the one hand because you can see that it's kind of human nature in that way like like this um this this fight between government and the people that are supposed to keep government honest right like but then at the same time it's also really nice to see that um to see that the kids are exposed to this sort of thing as early as the ages of 16, 17, 18 um, because hopefully they get to learn something from this. So if any of them become future like leaders of the state, then they know the role of a free press. Or if any of these people end up becoming... Um, employees in reputable media company they know what to expect from a government and um, something about how the way that they deal with this particular situation that they find themselves like they're, they're still sort of at odds right but the way that they um, end up dealing with this situation is extremely or it should be extremely formative for these uh, for these kids but I, I just couldn't get over the fact that it was press versus government. And it is really cool that the campus journalism um, kids get to see the media or the press as sort of that fourth estate keeping a check on government. 
and to see it actually play out as opposed to say reading it in a book for their media information literacy class right um i'll I'll keep you updated on how things play out if it ends up being like interesting but i just found it really cool and like the dude in charge of the student org or uh, the the teacher that's in charge of um, the student government also found it really cool i think i don't know i grew up in this period in human history called the 90s <laughs> and something that happened in the 90s apart from this sort of collective fascination with neon colored clothing and slap bands was the uh, the yo-yo like craze or the yo-yo boom and being a child of the 90s or a child in the 90s it was something that i partook in this yo-yoing <laughs> okay now let's just get this out of the way up front the word for comeback in tagalog is balik uh, the word for come home in tagalog is uwe in Cebuano. Uh, the word for come back is balik, and the word for come home is ulit. Right? So, it, it there's there's this thing that Duncan says that um, the word yo-yo is taken from a Filipino language that means, and it's supposed to mean like come back or come home or something. I, I don't know of any uh, Filipino language that has the words yo-yo or those those, those sounds to mean come back. Um, whatever it, it, it could be like a language in the north that is more influenced by like Mandarin or something or more influenced by some sort of Chinese than um, what we have in the rest of the country but I, I wouldn't know God knows we have a whole crap ton of languages here and whatever but let's just get it straight right it's not Tagalog That's that, that I'm sure of <laughs> So it could be like a false etymology, I'm not sure. Either way, I, I really got into yo-yos as a kid. Um, it's, it's like everybody had uh, Duncan Imperial and a Duncan Butterfly. The um, Imperial is like a more normal shaped yo-yo. Um, it looks like a, man, what are those things called? Um, um, those, those, those sweets. Anyway, you, you know what it looks like, right? Looks like a little shell sort of thing, and the butterfly was you. You, you take the yo. It's just like you take the yo-yo apart and put it on its back. That way, it looks kind of like a butterfly, right? And then, and then all of a sudden, this uh, this company called Omega comes up with this yo-yo called the Brain, which is uh, clutch axle yo-yo. One of the first that I can remember which is um, you throw the thing down, it sleeps, and then you don't have to like tug it back. You don't have to, to, to yank on it or to tug it in order for the yo-yo to just come up. It's, it, it would come up on its own um, when the, the spin would start dying out, right? Which is cool, but you, you really didn't want that. Like, what if you were in the middle of, say, like a and around the world or something, and the yo-yo starts slowing down, all of a sudden, like, bam, you have a yo-yo in the back of the head. So, the other big yo-yo that Omega came out with was this yo-yo called the Fireball. Oh, man, the Fireball. <laughs> the uh, Duncan Imperials and, 
like butterflies wouldn't sleep for very long, right? They'd sleep for about 10 seconds tops, perhaps. Um, but the fireball slept for twice that length. And all of a sudden, it became like the yo-yo that everybody had to have. Uh, I never had one. <laughs> I was stuck with my Duncan butterfly for, you know, the man on the flying trapeze and my Duncan Imperial, Imperial for all of the nice little loops. But other than that, I really didn't have too many yo-yos, which was cool because eventually I got tired of yo-yos. And then last month, for whatever reason, I was I was going through the the, the weird part of YouTube, and I happened upon like a uh, I happened upon a oh I remember what it was I was watching um, uh, I, I was I was looking through Veritasium or some whatever the name of that YouTube channel is, and um, it had this dude that was doing five uh, A yo-yos or no not five A. Well, whatever the uh, whatever the offspring yo-yos are, and I was like, "Whoa, that's really cool. That's like a thing now." And so I started looking up um, yo-yo YouTube videos, and uh, apparently, people are like crazy now. Um, like gone are the days where it was an amazing thing if you could uh, get the yo-yo to hop on the string, like whoa, or. Um, when it was like really cool if you could do like a couple of loops and like jump over the yo-yo as it was going around I, I don't know but things were really different now and um like uh like the impulsive like the impulsive moron that I am I, I got myself a yo-yo um a nice metal yo-yo from well, well from China right like like with everything, you have like cheap stuff that comes from China that's probably going to be good enough. So I got myself a Magic Yo-Yo M12 Shark Honor, or Shark's Honor or whatever. You know it's Chinese because it's got like a really weird name. So I got myself one of those yo-yos. <laughs> uh, nice little ball bearing, butterfly shape. And, and I noticed a couple of things about yo-yos now. Like they're really wide. Yo-yos are really wide now, and um, it makes it a lot easier to do all sorts of like string tricks, which is pretty cool. And the other thing that I noticed is that they sleep forever, like uh, about a minute or something, or a minute and a half, or I, I don't know. Um, and this is like a $5, not $5, it's like a $10 yo-yo. That manages to sleep for what seems like forever. Um, and the last weird thing that I had to come to terms with is this idea that the yo-yo doesn't pop back into your hand when you tug on it anymore. Like apparently, apparently there is this thing called an unresponsive yo-yo, and uh, that is when it doesn't respond to you saying like, "Come up, you have to do something." that's called a bind. It's it's pretty cool. And I've really been getting into it. Such a nerd. So I have an unresponsive Magic Yo-Yo N12 Sharks Honor. And I have 
a magic yo-yo Y01 node on the way. 